Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. God is love. It is essential to his nature. The Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity are love and demonstrate love to each other. There was no one greater to love than God. His love fills his heavenly home. But love has come down out of heaven to earth. God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves the world so much that he gave us his love, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God extends his love to sinners to bring us out of perdition and into eternal fellowship with himself, united to the life of God who is love. He brings us into his love and he puts his love into us. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. In verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude therefore who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I will be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he who was saying this, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The multitude therefore answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We'll turn now to 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Begin in verse 1. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And it came about when Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So they sent and summoned him. When Jeroboam and all Israel came, they spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Return to me again in three days. So the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be kind to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook their counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? And the young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter for us. 
Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Return to me on the third day. And the king answered them harshly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from God that Yahweh might establish his word, which he spoke through Ahijah the Silonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So all Israel departed to their tents. But as far as the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent uh, Hadoram, who was over the forced labor, and the sons of Israel stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors, to fight against Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of Yahweh came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says Yahweh, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the words of Yahweh and returned from going against Jeroboam. If you would please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out or hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. The word, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Give to us life and godliness. Lord, we all come with different concerns. We all come with different backgrounds. But we all come knowing that your word is truth and that you grow us up by your word and you teach us about yourself by by your word and you show us ourselves by your word. We pray that as we come today that we would be different than Rehoboam Instead, we would be the kind of people who set our heart to seek Yahweh, our God. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him 
king. Now, Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which Yahweh had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his, Rehoboam's mother's name was Mama, the Ammonitess. She was from Ammon. And he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. When we come to the records of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, we find in uh, Kings and Chronicles that they're pictured as lights, sometimes called a lamp. Someone reigns because God did not want David's lamp to go out. And of course, this comes back to the days of creation, that on the fourth day, God placed in the firmament the greater light and the lesser light, the one to rule the day and the other to rule the night, and he put the stars there also. And Israel itself, in Joseph's dream, is pictured as heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and the stars bowed down to Joseph. Israel is the light. And the head of the nation directs the light. What the light is, is what people become. The ones you associate with, those are the ones you become like. And so, there is a theme that runs through Kings and Chronicles having to do with light. Rehoboam is not a very good light. The story of Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles is not like the story of Rehoboam in 1 Kings. 1 Kings has almost twice as many verses, includes information you don't have. 2 Chronicles gets rid of some information, and assumes that you know it. You know something about Ahijah, how Ahijah met Jeroboam and tore a robe in 12 pieces and said, take 10 of them. That's assumed here in 2 Chronicles. But Chronicles, the chronicler, writes for his own purposes. So what he excludes is not necessary for where he is going, what he's looking for. In 2 Chronicles, chapters 10, 11, and 12, we have three vignettes having to do with Rehoboam. Rehoboam, by the way, means something like, may the people become large, or enlarge the people. Well, Jeroboam sounds like Rehoboam, and sure enough, it's quite the same. May the people be many. In one case, Rehoboam's name is thwarted. The people became few under Rehoboam. And Jeroboam, just a servant of Solomon, the people became many. There are three vignettes. Each of these little stories uh, can be put as a chiasm, so there's a point right in the middle that is the main point that's very helpful. The first one is what Hyde read for us for the scripture reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 10 through 11 verse 4. The second one is chapter 11 verse 5 through 12 verse 1, and the last one is 12 verse 2 to the end of the chapter. Each of them have a little different point to them to show us that the problem with Rehoboam is he did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. 
Now, the word set means to make your heart steadfast, establish your heart. It's easy, easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for all my sins and I'm going to heaven forever. It's a little more difficult to set one's heart to say, you know, my pursuit in life is Yahweh. That was not Rehoboam. That was David. Not a king had a heart like David, a man after God's own heart. That was Solomon, as portrayed to us in First and Second Chronicles, the one who set up the picture of the universe at the temple and there God was enthroned in a glory cloud. But it wasn't Rehoboam. I read you the last part of the record of Rehoboam. I didn't include the last couple of verses. You know that Lot had two daughters, and by incest they each had a son. One was Moab and one was Ammon. Amon had a daughter in the truck, and, and excuse me, Amon had had a had a, a a kin who married Solomon, and Solomon set up the Ammonitus god Milcom to worship. He married a lady from Ammon. And that lady bore him Rehoboam. So when you come to the end, you're not surprised, are you, that Rehoboam is, in some senses, such a worthless king. He had a father who was the wisest man among all the kings of the earth, they all sought his wisdom. They even brought him large quantities of gold and silver and spices from all over the place because he was so wise and so worth listening to. But there's something about a mother and children, isn't there? Something about a mother and children. And so the point is made. Rehoboam had a rotten mother. Well, of course, one might say Solomon wasn't a great father, and that turns out to be true, but that's not in the chronicler's account. So Rehoboam goes to Shechem, for all Israel is gathered at Shechem, to make him king. Now, that first verse should trouble you immensely. Because after all, when you come to the end, and everything leading up to this, all the first chronicles and everything said thus far in second chronicles is making the point, you know, you know where God lives? I'll tell you where God lives. God lives in Jerusalem in a house that is built for his name, there's his dwelling, and right next door to God's house is the king's house. Just a little walkway between them. So God is sitting over here in the temple, and over here on his right hand is the king, and King Rehoboam goes to Shechem to become king. Why is that? Not good. Not good. It's because there's trouble in Israel. Trouble that's only hinted at here. But Rehoboam doesn't act like a king. Obviously, the people have decided you're going to meet us in Shechem. And we'll make you king there. And Rehoboam gives way to it, so he comes to Shechem. When you come to chapter 11, verse 1, now he comes to Jerusalem. <laughs> That's where he should have been, but he wasn't there. And the reason they go down to Shechem is because there's trouble. 
Lots of people are very unhappy. Why? Because they were forced laborers and they were tired of it. And when you read 1 Kings and you read 2 Chronicles, which we've read, the first chapters, you see there were. There were 153,000 forced laborers in one group. They're called aliens. There were 30,000 forced laborers in another group over which Jeroboam was captain. And they went off away from Israel for a month and then they came home for two months. Went away for a month and came home for two months. And this lasted 20 years. Is that the way you'd want to live? You can see they're a little upset. And so they say, you come to Shechem. Well, Shechem, you know, that's the place where God met Abraham and said to Abraham, I'm going to give you all this land. It's going to be yours. He said that to, so Shechem's not a bad place. But Shechem doesn't have a great history either because Shechem is where Abimelech reigned as king after killing his 70 brothers, the son by a concubine of Gideon, that person we like. And in the end, Abimelech was killed in Shechem, having his head crushed with a stone. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you Abimelech, which means my father is king, was a snake. That's why his head was crushed, because the serpent's head was crushed at Calvary. He was a snake. Here we are in Shechem where a snake was, and Rehoboam's going to be made king. There's some dickering going on, and the dickering is not kingly, and it's not Israel, and it's not a people who are looking to God. No. It's just the way we dicker to get what we want. What they want is their freedom, and what Rehoboam wants is kingship. So they come to Shechem, and Jeroboam, who had fled for his life to Egypt, is called back, and he comes, and he uh, is put in charge of the people, and uh, they come and meet with the king, and they say, okay, here's what we want, Rehoboam. We want you to lighten the yoke your father put on us. And so Rehoboam says, okay, well, go away for three days. You notice what Hyde read to us? There's an emphasis on three days. And, of course, there's a reason for it just in a literary fashion. And we shouldn't just say, well, that, you know, he just arbitrarily chose three days. Well, he probably did arbitrarily chose three But the Holy Spirit didn't arbitrarily choose three days because what's supposed to happen in three days is whoa, a kingdom supposed to rise up. But instead, what happens is a kingdom falls down in three days. So in three days, they're going to come back. And that's the middle of the story right there, right in the middle. So on one side of the three days is Rehoboam consulting with counselors. On the other side of the three days is Rehoboam making his decision of which counselor he's going to listen to and what he's going to tell the people. And you know that there are two groups of counselors and one of them grew up with him is the word. But the word grew up means they're the great ones. You know, it's just like our culture. Every culture is pretty much the same. You get to be my age and you're has-been. You're nothing. And you're about 30, man, you are everything. You're hot stuff. And so, you know, all the young people in the United States, they know exactly what to do. And when one, one of them comes to power, what does he do? Well, he brings all his friends to power with him. Now, I'm not speaking about young people. You can see that's exactly what, that's exactly what President Trump did. That's a 
exactly what Joe Biden did. That's exactly what every president does. He, he gathers around him all his supporters, the ones who raised the money, the ones who campaigned with him, the ones who lied for him, all those kinds of things. Oh, did I say that? Yeah. And, and what they're going to get, you know, they're doing all that because they're going to get a piece of the action, a piece of the power. So Rehoboam has two groups. By the way, did you know that your counselors to Jesus? Whoa. Did you know that? When Jesus came to power and you came with him, you got a piece of the action. It's found in Hebrews. Of the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy throne is a lasting scepter. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, thy God, God thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness, the oil of joy, above your partners, called companions in the New American Standard. And then that word is traced all the way through Hebrews. It occurs five times. And who are the partners? Well, you and I are the partners, partners of the heavenly vocation, proven partners if we hold fast our insurance firm unto the end, threatened partners by saying, well, now you become partners with the Holy Spirit, but if you fall away, no repentance. And then finally, in chapter 12, we're partners and not bastards if we've been chastened by the Lord. You see, because God doesn't work so hard on people that aren't his. He works on people that are his, and he chastens them. And most of us don't like chastening, and that's exactly what Hebrews says. All chastening for the moment seems not to be joyful, but painful. But afterwards, afterwards, it yields the peaceable, peaceable fruit of righteousness. Well, you know, we go through life and we end up with struggles. And sometimes they're caused by our own actions. Sometimes they just are. And in both cases, God's in charge of them. Even when they're caused by our sinful action, God's in charge of them, just as he's in charge of Rehoboam's life. And he's going to chasten Rehoboam with Shishak, the Egyptian pharaoh, because he needs chastening. And we're partners of the one who's seated up there on the throne, and we reign with him. And he's given you a little bit of the action. Doing what? Well, bringing in his kingdom. If you're a father, you got some action going on. If you're a mother, you got some action going on. Your husband or wife, you got some action going on. Bringing in the kingdom. Partners with Christ. who for the joy set before him, he loved righteousness and he was anointed with the oil of joy, who because of the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in the heights. And then he goes on to say, and look, why are you losing heart? Yeah, you're under trouble, you got some problems, but none of you have shed blood in your resistance to sin yet. And the ones whom God loves, he disciplines and he scourges them as sons. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes, a scourging, doesn't it? But afterwards, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, of course, if you yield to the discipline. So here is real. That was just extra for free. Here's Rehoboam, and he calls in the counselors, and, and he says to... Solomon's counselor? Whoa, wait a minute. You've got to think that through. Solomon. God said to Solomon, well, what, what do you want? Well, I'm just like a little kid. I don't know right from wrong. 
and you put me in charge of this people. I want wisdom to discern between good and evil, which is just a stock way of saying to reign. And God says, okay, because you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for long life, you didn't ask for power, I'll give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you all the rest too. So Solomon uh, uh, is, is a picture of Jesus, and Jesus has got counselors all around him. You're one of them, part of the action. Solomon's got counselors all around. But Solomon's the wisest man. Why in the world does he need counselors? Go figure. Huh? Well, because everybody needs counselors. And so Rehoboam says, okay, uh, you know, my father really put the yoke on them, and they want the yoke lightened. What do you recommend? Well, now, Solomon, of course, we don't know exactly what age he was, but he reigned 40 years, and he didn't become king as an eight-year-old like some other kings. So, you know, he was, he was a guy who's getting to the point like me, a has-been. And he's got all these old men around him who've been his counselors. Well, here's what you should do. You should be kind to them. Your dad was heavy-handed. You should please them. That is, give them what they want. This is a good thing. Lighten the load. And you should speak words to them, good words. Well, the word words is, in Hebrew, just this broad thing. If we get there today, you'll see it. it, it it's, a, it's a word that's used of the sanctuary itself. It's called the word. The 20 cubit foot sanctuary of the temple is called the word. But the word sometimes just means thing. Speak to them good things. And then he turns aside and he speaks to those ones he brought to power with him. Now they're all about his age. They're his friends. They're, you know, the people he's been running around with, having fun with, doing kingly things with. And he says, uh, well, tell me what you think, what we should say to them. Well, he's already opened his hands, isn't he? He's saying, well, you know, those, those old has-beens, what do they know? But me and you, we, what are we going to say? Well, you know, the, 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 the picture is just, it's almost laughable, isn't it? Look, you tell them, my little finger is thicker than my loins. That's quite a picture. My father put a heavy yoke on you. I'm going to make it heavier. When you got out of line, my father disciplined you. But I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. So on the third day, right in the middle of this, you know, working your way to this and then working your way down from it, right in the middle they come, and that's exactly what he tells them. Now, he knows they're unhappy. He knows there's trouble because he's in Shechem to be made king. He's not at the right hand of Yahweh to be made king. He's in Shechem. And they hear his words and they say, he didn't listen to us. In this section, eight, uh, excuse me, 10, 11, and 12, Shemaiah. The prophet Shammai, his name means Yahweh hears, or Yahweh wants you to hear. It can mean either way. So hearing is important. And of course, you know that from the key text of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is 
one. Listen to it. And then he tells us what it means. Therefore, love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your soul, and some of your mind. No. Love the Lord with all you got, with your emotions, with your thinking, with your money, with your family. Yahweh has to be right at the center. He didn't listen to us. To your tents, O Israel, we have no portion or inheritance in David, the son of Jesse. And off they go. Well, you know, so what does the king do? Well, the king sends another servant of his who was over forced laborers named Hadariam. His name appears differently in different, different books at different times, but it's very similar. He sends them after him. He sends him after them. And what do they do? They kill him. This is a serious matter. So what does the king do? The king did what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam fled to Egypt. Now the king flees to Jerusalem. And he gets to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. They come to Shechem. And now closing off this, this, this with bookends, now they, he comes to Jerusalem. And what's he going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to muster the troops, and he's going to go out, and he's going to get his kingdom back. He's got two little tribes over here. They've got ten big tribes over here, and he's going to beat them. And God's stops him through the prophet Shemaiah, and he listened. Okay, so, you know, you walk away from that story and you say, okay, what's wrong with Rehoboam? Well, what's wrong with Rehoboam is, what's wrong with us? You know the kind of counselor you go to? The one that tells you what you want to hear. That's what Rehoboam did. He didn't take the wise counsel. No, he's not a stupid man. He knows who the wise counselors are. No, he took the young boy counsel. So we live in a time in the church when we don't want to hear the full truth anymore. We got itching ears, as Paul says in 2 Timothy. Day's going to come when they won't listen. They got itching ears. And in the church across America right now, we got itching ears. And so we're getting the word that we want. And we'll see in a minute, it's going to be terrible what it's going to do to us. Because... That's what happened to Rehoboam. Okay, so you're a king. You didn't get all the great exaltation that you should have gotten if you'd have been anointed as king in uh, Jerusalem with Psalm 2 being read, Thou art my son, today I've begotten you. In fact, what's said of David and Solomon in, well, it's, we, we read it back in chapter 9, verse, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 8, and we read it back in 1 Chronicles chapters 28 and 29. God set them on his throne over his people. In other words, he's, they're pictured as, as almost God. That doesn't happen for the rest of Chronicles. There is no born, anyone like David, and there's no one like Solomon. Now all the kings are lesser, and Rehoboam's the start of that train. So if you, you know, if 10 of your tribes go away, what are you going to do as a king? Well, you're going to go get them back, but then God says, no, don't do that. And Rehoboam listens. So then what are you going to do? 
you're going to say, well, you know, I've got all these tribes over here, and man, they didn't leave very friendly-like. They said, Israel to your tents. Well, when you use that kind of language in the Bible, you don't mean, let's go home and, you know, cook some supper. When you say Israel to your tents, you mean, let's go to war. That's what it means. So in other words, Israel is going to come down and fight against Judah. So what's Judah going to do now that God says, no, you can't fight your relatives? Well, what Judah's going to do is Rehoboam's going to strengthen Judah. So when you get to chapter 11, verse 5 and following, you look at 5 through 12, and, and you get this picture. He's fortifying all the cities. He's taking two layers of cities that are around Jerusalem, and he's building up fortifications. And what he ends up doing is he puts some of his sons, our sons, in each of these fortifications. He gives them lots of food and wine and spears and shields so that he is strengthened, ready for the battle. And this whole idea then of strengthening, he's taking measures to strengthen himself, goes from 11.5 to 12 verse 1. So if you just look down, say, at 11, uh, 11.11. He also strengthened the... He also strengthened the fortresses and put, uh, I'm having a hard time reading that, uh, put officers in them and, and, and stores of food, oil, and wine. So you get the picture. And then in verse, verse 12, he tells us he's putting spears there, he's putting shields there, he's getting everything ready so that if these tribes from the north come and attack him, He's all set to go. Then we're told something quite interesting in verse 13. Moreover, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel uh, stood with him from all of their districts. So what happens is Jeroboam takes these people away and Jeroboam says, oh, yeah, yeah, they, you know, all these people grew up uh, with David and Solomon and the temple and sacrifices and worship. And so I, I'm going to have to try to do something so they don't run back to Jerusalem. So he sets up his own worship system. And he sets it up like the golden calf. He puts one calf in the north of Israel, and one calf in the south so people can come and worship. And he gets rid of all the Levites and all the priests. He won't let them serve. They're excluded. And he sets up his own priestly system to serve these gods to, because he doesn't want the people to run back to Jerusalem. But what happens? The priests and the Levites, well, they stand with Rehoboam because they're worshipers of God. And so they forsake their own land, in their own territory, where they're supposed to be serving, and they come back to Jerusalem because they don't want to be with Jeroboam. And then notice verse 16, and those from all the tribes of Israel, notice the terminology, who set their hearts on seeking Yahweh, the God, uh, seeking Yahweh, the God of Israel, followed them to Jerusalem to sacrifice to Yahweh, God of their fathers. And they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, for three years. Why? For they walked in the ways of David and Solomon for three years. Okay, so here's Rehoboam doing exactly what you and I might think is best to do around the United States. Okay, let's get our weapons and let's get it all set up so nobody can attack us. So we got our borders all taken care of, but what's happening inside the United States is falling apart like crazy. That's exactly what was happening to Rehoboam. 
He's got all the fortresses all set up. You know, what are they going to do? They, they can't overtake. But inside, there's a mess. Because Rehoboam has not set his heart to seek the Lord. But God is gracious. And down from the north come priests and Levites who leave their houses, leave their little farm plots, leave their little flock of sheep, and they come down to Jerusalem. Why? Because they've set their heart to serve Yahweh. And in the north, there's a whole host of people, I don't know how many, who really, oh, their heart is given to Yahweh. But they don't live in Benjamin or Judah, but they decide it's time to move. And they come. And so the kingdom is strengthened. Why? Because of fortress cities? No. It's strengthened because some godly people pull into town, set up shop, and worship picks up for three years of people following Yahweh God. That's quite something, isn't it? That should remind us, like in our own little families. Yeah, earning money's good, getting everything all in order, all that's good. But what's most important? What's most important is training our children to follow Jesus Christ. That comes first. But in myriads of Christian homes in the United States, no, that, 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 that comes last. You know, if you've got time for that, because you've got everything else going on. That's the way Rehoboam was. Well, we don't have time, but the, the rest of the chapter then you got these godly people on one side, and then on the other side of how it's strengthened, you have Rehoboam and all his wives. And if you look through the list of wives, you discover that they're all somewhat related to him. And from them, he gets some sons and a bunch of daughters. And then uh, he takes his sons, and he's still on the same campaign to strengthen all of the cities, the fortified cities around him. So he puts a son in each of those cities to man it and to make sure that, that the north is not going to attack them and overtake them. And, you know, and that's all, that, all that's fine and good. But, again, his focus is not on the focus of those who are following Yahweh God. And I want you just to look down at verse 23, Numeric Standard, the last sentence, it says, and he sought many wives, and notice in your Bible, I hope your Bible's like this, has italics for them. Those words aren't there. And he sought many wives. This word sought is a word I mentioned in a little thing I sent out Saturday that was used by Jabez. You remember Jabez? You could have bought your leather-bound book about the prayer of Jabez. You remember that time frame? And, and here you read all through this genealogy in First Chronicles, and you get two verses about Jabez. And can I put it this way? Millions of dollars were made by preachers off those two little verses. Wow. I'm looking for two like it, but I haven't found them yet. Jabez, well, he made a request of Yahweh. He asked Yahweh, you know, could you give me a life that's free from pain? And could you enlarge my borders? And Yahweh was pleased to answer it his request. That's this word here, sought. It's a word to ask because you're really looking for something. It's the word that's used of uh, Solomon in chapter 2 of 2 Chronicles when Solomon asks the Lord, he's seeking wisdom, and he gets wisdom. But what is Rehoboam seeking? 
women. He's already got a bunch of wives, but he wants more wives. All the wives he has so far are related somehow. They're kin related, extended kinship, but related to him. Now he wants wives. Now, if you just look at the chapter and you say, okay, this chapter's talking about him fortifying, why would he want wives? Well, you know why you want wives. You want a wife in that day and period because, okay, over there is my enemy, but if I go marry his daughter and she becomes my wife, then my enemy has suddenly no reason to attack me because he'd be attacking my daughter. So you go to all the surrounding countries and you take a wife from uh, uh, the, 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 the kin of the king so that you can fortify your city even more. That's exactly what Rehoboam is doing. So when it says, and he sought for wives, it's not talking about uh, anything but wanting wives for the purpose of fortifying his little domain. Then just look at chapter 12, verse 1. It took place when the king, uh, excuse me, yeah, it took place when the kingdom, uh, when the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong, the subject we've been talking about, strengthening, that he and all Israel with him forsook the law of Yahweh. That's quite something. So for three years, these people came down and they were living and worshiping God. And for these three years, Rehoboam is building everything up and in the process of getting more wives to make sure he has less enemies. And everything is looking so great. And all of a sudden, they forsake the law of Yahweh. You see, that's what's happened in the United States to the church. Life got so easy, and we want it easy. When our friends around us are making it more difficult, so instead of confronting them, we become like them to keep it easy. So, uh, I'm going to take five minutes extra this time. So, uh, a couple nights ago, our, our neighbor, uh, whose husband died, is selling her house. And uh, I said to Grace, you know, it, it, it's dark out. I don't remember what time of night it was. And I said, I think the doorbell rang. No, 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 no. And then it rang again. We go out there, and there's a guy standing there. And he, he says, do you know anything? It's, you know, it's 7, 8 o'clock at night. I don't know what it was. And, and he says, do you know anything about the house next door that's for sale? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know. Well, it turns out he's down here from Canada looking for a place in the United States because Canada is too liberal. Well, we're just a few days behind them. That's the thing. Anyway, they forsook the Lord. And now, our time is gone. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. And it came about in King Rehoboam's, and it came about in King Rehoboam's fifth year because they had been unfaithful to Yahweh that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. So here's what happens. He's fortifying, and he's reaching out, trying to get all these wives to help fortify his kingdom more. And Shishak's getting nervous, and so Shishak decides to attack the Pharaoh of Egypt. But of course, this is the Lord's doing. That's the point of the text. This is the Lord's doing. Because Rehoboam and Judah have become unfaithful. 
That's the key word in Chronicles. It's a word that means to be treacherous. It's the word that you would use of an unfaithful spouse. It would sometimes be translated something like played the harlot. In other words, what Rehoboam did is he was just like his dad. He went out and got all these wives. And then he begins looking to the gods of these wives. Now Judah, called Israel, has become unfaithful. So God allows Egypt to come in and attack, and God sends Shemaiah to give a message to the princes and to Rehoboam, and they hear the message, and they humble themselves. And we've run out of time. Now, let me just close this way. They humbled themselves, and God relents. He's not going to let Shishak overtake Jerusalem, but he is going to let Shishak, uh, what's the word I want? He's going to make Jerusalem pay tribute to Egypt because he wants them to learn, here's what it's like to serve the kingdoms of the country, and here's what it's like to serve me. They humble themselves, so he forgives. He's not going to destroy Jerusalem. He's going to let Jerusalem stand, but Jerusalem now is going to be indentured to Egypt so that they learn what it means to serve other gods. You don't want to do that. Look at the price you'll pay. And so Shishak takes away all the fortified cities, gets rid of them, comes right up to Jerusalem and takes the storehouses of God's house and the treasure houses of the king's house and takes all the gold shields that, that, uh, that Solomon had made so that when Solomon's over here at his house and he wants to go over to God's house, all these gold shields are brought out and they all surround him when he walks so he looks like a big glory cloud with all the light shining off of it, like God's glory cloud. But now all the glory's taken away. So what's he do? He builds himself some bronze ones. So now when he walks from his house over to God's house with all these shields surrounding him and the light shining off, the light's not very good anymore. His glory's diminished. Why? Because he was unfaithful. Keywords in Chronicles. Forsake, unfaithful. Those are the kinds of words that tell. And seeking after other gods instead of seeking after Yahweh God. That's what the kings are doing. And the people follow suit with the kings. Now, what we want to be are a different kind of people. And I've just chosen that expression that's used several times. Rehoboam did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. Let me end with this then. Setting the heart means you make a plan to seek Yahweh. We're not talking about some kind of feeling. We're talking about we know what's best for us and we make a plan so that we give time to seeking Yahweh, searching them out. And remember what David said to Solomon. If you forsake Yahweh, Yahweh will forsake you. If you seek Yahweh, if you seek Jesus, if you push and push and push and search and pray and read, if you seek Jesus, he will let you find him. Let's stand. Father, give us hearts. Give us minds. Give us the thought. We need Jesus so that we attend to it. We set our heart. We make a plan so that we search him out. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.